welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Today, I am just over the moon. We had the amazing opportunity to have an interview with Jonathan Cain. Now, if you don't know who Jonathan Cain is, Jonathan Cain is a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and a Journey member, and he's been doing music for a long time. Jonathan released his first solo album in 1976, and in 1979, he joined the Babies, and in 1980, he joined the rock band Journey. He's done other things, been in bad English, and you know had many, many hits, and we talk about not only fatherhood, he's a father of three, but we also talk about his music and his faith and more. This interview is going to be a little bit longer than we typically have because Jonathan was really passionate about the topic and was really willing to delve deep on the topic of fatherhood. So I am just really excited to be able to provide you with an intimate look at Jonathan Cain. And of course, you know, my wife's a pastor. The boy that wanted to be a priest marries a preacher. God has a sense of humor. You wanted to be a priest at one time? Actually, I was a pretty uh, into the Catholic faith. Well, I actually wrote a book that tells the whole story. Don't okay. stop it. Yeah. So still making the sign of the cross and uh, still looking for the holy water. And my kids were born and I, I felt so blessed. My first daughter took a long time for my wife and I to conceive my ex-wife. And so it was really kind of a miracle birth. You know, they told us we might not be able to have kids and it was kind of dark times there. And then when she was born, I just really woke up to my faith. And I thank God for my daughter. One of the great moments uh, in my life was her being born. So it was really, uh, I said, well, now I have to lead my daughter to the Lord the way my father led me. So I really felt a strong urge. And I, we found a great church and a, a really great pastor, Clay Schmidt. It was a Lutheran church, actually. And he was a young guy, the same guy that married us and counseled us, really uh quite a theologian and uh, an amazing guy. I still stay in touch with him. Awesome. Uh, and he baptized all my kids, you know, my, my two girls. And of course I had a son, Weston, he was a twin. So I had a lot of kids in, in a hurry in my forties, you know, which was crazy. 46 and I've got three kids and they were like only two and a half years apart with twins. You can imagine the chaos. And then you throw a journey on top of it. And what was interesting was we took a break, you know, there was a break in touring and we had to regroup and uh, Steve Perry had decided he wasn't going to go. I still had to make the record with him, Trial by Fire. We did that record, When You Love a Woman and all the, the Journey album, went platinum. And then he decided he couldn't tour and didn't want to work. And so I found myself home with this young baby, you know, and being her dad and having all day. <laughs> to just be with her and take her to school and make lunch for her and uh, sort of look after her. And uh, it was a trip. I mean, I, I really slowed my life down. Her name's Madison. She's what, 27 now. But um, she was an extraordinary young girl and still is beautiful in so many ways. Just really beautiful. And uh, she's engaged now. But, you know, those early years, I took her everywhere. And I was quite happy just being a single dad. I kept telling everyone, you know, I'm really happy with one kid. I don't want any more than one. You know, I think one is perfect. You can, so she went with us everywhere, you know, restaurants and on vacation. And she was really a very sturdy little girl and loved people and loved traveling and curious and smart beyond belief. Could sing 
by the time she was four, she was singing Alanis Morissette. Jagged Little Pill, it was almost every song she knew. And extraordinary gift. Her ear was amazing. She can still make these crazy cartoon voices. She ended up being a great singer. In fact, she can be heard, Madison Kane, on an album. I put a song on an album called The Songs You Leave Behind, which was a collection of songs I put out on iTunes that are on my audio book, Don't Stop Believing. And we wrote a song together called Shine that I think really puts the family, the whole thing into perspective. It's kind of when Weston got in trouble with drugs and and uh, we were just praying as a family that he would be okay. And it's just kind of scary. You never think that your son could be, you know, captive to the enemy like that. And there he was, you know, stuck in rehab. So, uh, but Madison, uh, she's engaged now and she has a musician, Beyonce, who is one of the Toto, Steve Lukather's son, Trevor. So she's engaged to him and living in LA and still working on her music. And my other daughter, Liza, is a late bloomer in music. And she now is working with my son, who's you know, just trying to straighten his act out. And they have this little duo thing. It's very interesting. A real indie kind of sounding thing. She's singing and uh, I just bought her a new rolling piano for her birthday. And just amazing passion for writing songs. And I wonder where she got that from, you know. <laughs> I wonder. Liza is a surprise uh, daughter for me because, you know, she struggled as a, as a baby. She had a lot of issues. She had dyslexia and had trouble school. We had to get her special ed. So she worked the hardest, I think, out of all my kids, Liza did. And what was interesting that she ended up getting her degree in college. You know, she went to New York City all by herself and and got in uh, this uh, fashion school, Parsons, and graduated, you know, with a degree in marketing. And so there I was, you know, with Liza. And, and then she surprises me again and can sing and write songs. Five years later, I'm like, okay, COVID must have done something here. What's going on? I was so proud of her. So I hope that her musical dreams come true. Both of my daughters and my son are deeply involved in music and I wish them all the best. No, it's great. And let me turn to clock back in time because you were talking about Madison as your first daughter and yeah. you know, being a father in yeah. your mid forties. Talk to me about that first experience when you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter, what was going through your head? Um, I don't know anything about it. I better start reading, you know? So I was one of those guys that bought the books. I have no clue what I'm up against. So I bought a bunch of parenting books and read, read them on the weekends and then signed up for a Lamaze class and went faithfully to that. But I mean, what my thing was, I already made up my mind. I was going to guide my child. It wasn't going to order my child or own my child. I always tell my ex-wife, they're just house guests. And in the process, before her baptism, which was a big day in my mind, I wrote this song called Little River. And in the song, and it's also on the Songs You Leave Behind album, I wrote it for her for her baptism, sang it in the church, right to her little face up there on the altar. And the song just says, run little river, a world waits for you. Chasing through these fields is dreams. My love's forever true, but you're going to run and I'm just going to let you run. And I thought about her life like a river, just carving through and flowing to the sea. And I'm only around just to make sure that river doesn't get blocked up and doesn't get stuck. And that's really, I sort of, in that song, I think I nailed every, every feeling in my heart I put in that song. And I remember it rained the morning she was born and just how amazing it was to hold her first moments, you know. And she was quite a big advanced baby. She was late by about two weeks. You know, they had to induce my ex-wife and so she was nearly 10 pounds. And 
her eyes were wide open, which is unheard of. And so they said she got like almost a 10 on the APGAR test, you know, so extraordinary child. <laughs> and she turned out to be that, you know, but I, I'll tell you, just getting ready for that was a preparation. And I already decided I wasn't going to boss her around. And even when she was little, putting on her outfits, her mother would say, oh, go change. You're not wearing that to school. And I, and I stopped her and I said, Madison, you're wearing that to school wear whatever you want. And I explained to my ex-wife, I said, the only freedoms they have are these little things we can let them do. You know, we can't take everything away from them and, and boss them around. And and I was going to be a timeout dad. You're going to get a timeout. And so I kept that promise till she was 16. You know, <laughs> she got her timeouts. And so discipline was important. She was a very strong-willed child. And I knew I had to be firm with her on one hand and on the other hand, sit down and play Barbies with her and take her to uh, the doll store and take her to Disneyland and, and let her be a princess and, you know, sing to her on her birthday. And she loved horses, you know, so we always had a pony on her birthday in the backyard and she lived a charmed life. She really did. But my whole thing was get ready, know what you're dealing with. You know, and I remember what was the one book by John Gray. He wrote a parenting book. He also wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. But John Gray had a great parenting book where he discussed the idea of discipline and consequences, you know. So what kind of dad, what kind, what's your style going to be like? And, and so I really soul searched for my style. I said, well, I'm going to be, I remember how my dad was with me and I'm not going to spank my kids. I could be any hitting involved. There'll be consequences and they'll lose things. You know, the things will be taken away, but I'll never spank my kids. And my ex-wife and I agreed on most everything. In the end, they ended up with too many credit cards and just way too entitled for my money, but she spoiled them and I was on the road. What can I do? You know, I come home and oh man. I said, what's going on here? That's the bad thing about being gone. But I was there for the birth of my twins. And, you know, I remember going back on the road again in 98 when Journey started. And I cried in the back of the bus. I miss my kids so much, you know. It was like they become part of you. So pulling away on the road when they're that young is really painful. So how did you do it? I mean, because you've lived a life that has brought you on the road and you've had to balance that. Other dads have to balance being a dad but also right. being a professional or doing what they do in their profession. But, you know, it's a different type of life when you right. are taken on the road for long periods of time and you're away from your families. So how did you balance being able to be a dad as well as being a musician, um, being right. on the road and, and such? When they were old enough to travel, I would bring them out one by one and show them that this was work, that I wasn't abandoning them. This is what dad's workplace looks like. And to give them that reality, I think really helped. They saw that I wasn't out there just screwing around. I was working and this was my music journey and they got to see the fans. And my daughter ended up on stage one several times singing the Nanas and uh, Love and Touching, you know. And, and then also it's balancing the idea that when you get home, you got to put your rock star clothes away and start making lunch and, you know, shifting, being a dad again, taking them to school, waking them up in the morning. I was the one that always get them up every morning. I let their mother sleep in and I'd make lunch and greet them and tell them to go for school. And, you know, my thing was like, you know, see that spider, you got to be a hungry spider like that one over there. I want you all to be hungry spiders. And they would just go, oh, dad, that's so silly. I said, be a hungry spider. I mean it. <laughs> Trying to encourage them to get good grades. And they did. They did very well. We had a great relationship, but they saw the road for what it was. And, you know, they went on the bus with me, stayed in the hotels with me, and they shared that reality of the road. And then when I would come home, I'd just leave that all packed away and get back to being dad. 
you know, and that shifting is not easy to do. It's not, it's a balancing act for sure, but you have to understand the responsibility that goes with parenting. I always say that parents need a license that to drive a car, we need a license to fly a plane. We need a license to be parents. I think psychologically it's a deep thing. And you can really do a lot of damage. A lot of parents damage their children unconsciously. They don't even know. I was lucky. I grew up in a very loving atmosphere, my mom and dad. So I knew what I wanted to be, my atmosphere in my house to be, you know. And I was fortunate. I'm still thanking God for the love that I was surrounded by. And I know a lot of parents aren't so lucky, but my parents came up from brokenness. Both their families were a mess, you know, and when they got together at a very young age, my mom was pregnant with me at 19, you know, so I was, it was like, you better get married because your son is coming. <laughs> I didn't know that for the longest time. I, I found a wedding picture and I, I said, oh my gosh, she was pregnant when she got married. They decided they were going to make a perfect life together and they would leave all that behind and they managed to do it. My dad and mom were a united front and they wanted to leave all the brokenness in the past and have a house of, you know, love and and possibility. And that's what it always was in our house, you know, with my children, it was always possibility, you know, until the end when I left their mother and it broke their heart and, but things happen, people change. You can't really um, stay in something that, you know, you didn't believe. I waited, you know, I was one of those guys that wanted to leave her probably 10 years before I you know, should have just said, I want out of this marriage, but I, I love those kids so much. I stayed in it until they were old enough to understand at least I thought they would be. And it all happened really suddenly. And, you know, I had to go to some therapy with them. I had to understand what was going on. And uh, eventually they accepted it. You know, it wasn't easy. I didn't see it turning out that way, but that's the way relationships can go. And I think sometimes I just have to warn parents to not lose the intimacy with each other. Sometimes couples make the kids everything. All of a sudden they lose their identity of who they are as, as lovers, as where did they get started? And I felt like the kids became the focus of our lives and, and I, we had no identity. She didn't care about me. She cared about those kids. And those kids became everything. And I became, you know, background noise. And I just uh, always warn parents, just don't go there. It's so important to to keep your relationship separate, if I could put it that way. And it's sacred. And to keep it alive and to go on dates and, you know, to make effort to be alone together. They shouldn't be in your bed sleeping with you. No. And I see parents break the rules all the time. These are our boundaries that are unhealthy and I feel my marriage was sort of turned into an unhealthy sea of muck, and I just didn't want any part of it anymore. I didn't feel respected. I just felt like I was a little doormat. And I would come home like, okay, this is not working. And I, you know, I would demand some kind of alone time, but all I got was, well, you know, you've been gone. So I'll let you know when I'll talk to you, you know, I kind of, I'm like, well, what's this all about? You know? So, and we got plans and we're going to do it this way. And we're going to, so it's really easy to become codependent with your kids and for the relationship that really made the kids go south pretty quick and they get too entitled. They consume all your time. And in the beginning they should, but you also have to get a babysitter and get a date night and put a lock on your bedroom door if you need to and have that intimacy and cherish each other as parents. And, you know, my parents used to always kind of treat us like we were this other country and they go off on other dates and my aunt would come and babysit and, but they would never get in our stuff that much. You know, they, this is your boundaries right here. This is your mom and dad. And, you know, I would try to convince my dad that my mom was being mean to me and he wouldn't have it. Yeah. Your mom's being mean. No, he's not. Uh, She's not being mean to you. I'm your father. She's the queen. And that's that. And so I think it's cool that I watch my parents keep the boundaries very, very healthy. 
you know, and that's what I would say happened, I think, in that family I was in. But my kids and I, we have a great relationship. It took a while after I pulled out. They didn't understand it. Why, why, why? But at least they were old enough to get it. Like when they're 10 or 11, no, not so much. But, you know, if I had one regret, maybe I should have left sooner, but, you know, no, maybe not. Maybe it was better that I did it the way I did it. I don't know. I'll never really know the answer to that. I just know what I saw and what I felt. And they meant the world to me, but I don't know. You got to be careful. Now, you were talking about your own father. I actually was listening to your podcast, Anchored, that you mentioned earlier. And you have some really poignant things that you talk about in an early episode about your father and what he did to help you to become the man that you are. But also, really, you talk about him as a dad and how he gave you a kind of a vision of what fatherhood is and what it should be. So talk to me a little bit about that, what he gave you, what were those kind of building blocks, but how did you take what your father gave you and turn it into your own? Identity. I think my father helped me recognize early on who I was in the world. I was his son. I was born of his blood. I have his name. And the first time I disappointed him and maybe disobeyed a boundary that he had put down, I took my bike past this one street and somebody saw me and he busted me out. And he talked to me very sternly and he just said, you know, you are my son and you represent me and I can't have disobedience. If you're going to live in this house, you're going to live by my rules. And I respected that. He said, I work my ass off. I work hard for you kids. And the least you can do is honor me and respect me. And I would go, yes, dad. And just the fact that he cared enough about my actions and that I represented him was a big deal for a little kid. And then he started, you wrap your head around that and go, wow, I just, I never thought about it like that, you know, and here I am being a, a brat. Do I want my dad's friends to think I'm a brat? And no. And then he would take me on the golf course and tell me before we left what he expected of me, always previewing me, you know, giving me a preview. This is what I don't want you to speak unless you're spoken to. I don't want any swear words. I don't want to hear any. You're going to listen. You're not going to interrupt anybody. You're not going to step out of line. These are my golf buddies. And this is how it's going to go, John. Then you can come. So I remember that. I would always do the same thing with my kids. I would give them expectations. We're going to go to Disneyland and this is what I expect. Okay. Or we're going to go to this park and this is what I expect from you. And that was a great thing my father would always do. And you know, golf became a real father-son thing. And I caddied for him till I was old enough to play. And then he let me play once in a while. And if I wanted to see my dad, it was on the golf course where we spent the real cool, intimate times together. And then coming and going to the golf course, he would talk to me. And, and you know, he recognized early on I had a musical gift. He knew, you know, I could sing the hit parade at five years old. I knew every song, every word. I sang perfect pitch. He knew that and he recognized it. And I think what he did after the school fire I was in, in uh, 58, you know, where 92 children were burned alive and three nuns. And he saw the the sort of shock and sorrow on his son. And he was going to shift his son into another place. And God told him music, you know, and he said, I'm taking you music lessons. That's it. You know, we're going. And I was like, really? You know, yeah. You know, and we went to (laughs) this music school he found and and I tried all the instruments out in my hands. I was a little kid, still like nine years old, eight years old. And um, the accordion that they had was this little tiny thing that I could play. And I said, I'll pick this, Dad, you know. And well, he had to fill out the papers because he couldn't afford to buy the whole thing. And he was making payments on it. Like, so we took that accordion home and I started to, and he paid for my lessons. He didn't make a lot of money. My father was a humble man, you know, as a printer by trade. But he stepped up and, and along the way, you know, 
my teacher that was teaching me said, your son is extremely gifted. He has perfect pitch. And the only thing he doesn't do well is he, he makes up notes that aren't on the page because <laughs> he thinks they sound better. <laughs> so my dad said, we got to work on that kid. You know, we got to read the music and then you can play your own version of the song. So I promised him I would. But then he started seeing this prophecy for me. It's like, I think something big's going to happen for you. You're going to be a big songwriter and you're going to write songs. You're going to play for 10,000 people a night. He, he declared it and prophesied it. He'd tell his friends, now he's playing accordion now, but wait, you see what happens with my son. And I would always agree with him. I guess you're right, dad. Embarrassingly so. I hadn't written anything yet, but he had a vision for what I was going to become. And I think as uh, fathers all need to recognize the gifts their children have. And I knew my kids were gifted musically. So I gave them whatever. They had piano lessons. They had my Madison was in the studio singing backgrounds, creating stuff on her own. And, you know, Weston had a drum set and was playing drums. I made that available. I saw that the gift that God had put on them. It was just similar to mine. It was kind of like watching your own self-development. I remember my father getting me down the road. And that was a beautiful thing about dad. He was unselfish. Even when I was playing, I wanted to go to music school and I didn't have enough money. So I, I started doing these club gigs so I could save money to go to college. And I started early on. We had a plan. I was going to go to music school. And I was so young, some of the bars wouldn't let me stay in alone. So my dad would stay up until two in the morning while I finished my gig and drive me home. And they get up and try to play golf the next morning. I'll never forget that. Those were special sacrifices that he made for me because when he said, I'm there for you, he meant it. And when he said, I'm your vision keeper, he meant it. You know, and I try to remain that with my children and encourage them and be that vision keeper. Now, you mentioned that your dad's vision for you was to play for 10,000. Well, you've played for much larger than 10,000 people. Yes. What was his reaction in regards to, I, I'm sure he got to see you in those type of venues, or maybe he did. And maybe yeah, he did. He did. He did. And yeah. what was his reaction to that? He just knew all along. He said, I, here it is. This is what I was talking about, you know, and every time I would get like in when I was on the babies, he wasn't that impressed. You know, he's like, ah, this isn't it. This is just a stepping stone to something greater. He always say, okay, dad. And then when journey came along, he said, God showed this to me, John. And he was just pleased and um, proud. And I think relieved that what he had dreamed had come to pass and he was spot on. And even, you know, as I was going through the process of being a member of Journey, one thing always was in the back of my mind, show your dad he was right. That's so cool. Now, you've mentioned throughout our conversation today, there's this, this underlying kind of theme of music. I guess when I look at your music, you've moved through different genres. You've had the, the Christian contemporary type of piece that you're doing now, but also that's kind of run through when you've had your the music that you've done through Journey and the Babies and Bad English and you know the rock and roll you know, pieces in there too. I had a stint in a smooth jazz. I had like three albums I did for higher octave that did pretty well. So even that. So I guess one question yeah. that I have though, is, is that you've straddled so many different genres. Yeah. So what do you love most about the different genres of music that you've dabbled in and yeah. what kind of pushes you now as you share your messages through music? They have a different a sort of throttle to them. You know, they have, I like shifting my energy between what Journey does and then what my gratefulness and my faith and my return to, to my faith and the restoration of my faith. So what's interesting is that as I sing and to God, he allows me to be creative in Journey. 
You know, so I definitely know the Lord is pleased with what I'm doing because I've got too many signs. And it's fun because I have complete freedom in my worship where I'm bound to, you know, what Neil wants to do, what Journey's supposed to do. And and the freedom I find in worship is that kind of music lasts forever, you know. And I'm, I'm still seeing songs from an album that's five years old, what God wants to hear, you know, on uh, Daystar with my wife, Paula. And they're still relevant to me, you know. They still mean something. And one thing that I always kind of, wondered, wait, who's the guy that wrote Faithfully? Where is that guy at? And I had that question for a long time, and I didn't realize that, well, it was God that wrote Faithfully with me. He was my partner on that song. No one else was in the room. It was just the Lord over my shoulder. And and it was an aha moment. You know, when my father passed away, I sat there paralyzed at the piano, feeling sorry for myself. How am I going to do this without my dad? I've always, I used to say, I can't play one note that I can't trace back to him. And one of my aunties from Arkansas saw my father and I at a reunion, sent me this letter. She said she was sorry my dad had passed, but she said, you harvested his beliefs. And she had a capital H, H-I-S. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there reading this letter, weeping. And, and God says to me, yeah, John, it's been me all along. Through him, it's been me. And I'm the guy that wrote faithfully with you. It's me. You and I wrote that together, John. Oh, you know, and you could take in that song, you know, Oh, Lord, you stand by me. I'm forever yours faithfully. Oh, God, you stand by me. That's a, It's a worship song. So there it is. It's like, and I just stumbled into worship. My wife asked me to learn a couple of songs and hop on a cruise ship with her. She had a woman's cruise, you know. She said, can you learn six of these songs? I said, I guess so, you know. And so I dragged my keyboard on the boat and something happened that morning, you know, as I started ministering to the women, 200 women. And I looked over at Paula and she's weeping after the service. I said, was it that bad? She goes, no, no. Something happens when you sing to the Lord. Something happens. Your voice, I've never heard you sing like that. I said, well, it felt pretty good. I said, let's continue. So I remember I did about three days of that and came home and wanted to write. Then I started listening to all the songs of the day. And I thought, you know what? There's hardly any scripture in these songs. I don't know if they're singing to God or the girlfriend. So that's when I started really diving in. And Paula's an expert in the Bible. She's a theologian. She pours over the word, I mean, hours and hours. And so I started finding things that I felt, I said, there's a certain responsibility to this first album. It has to be innocent and it has to have a reverence. And I want to sing what God wants to hear. And that was the title of the album. And, you know, it really did well. And radio didn't embrace me the way I thought they might have. Thought they'd have a story there, but you're not in the club. So I couldn't get the first base on the radio. And I realized I wasn't doing it for that. It's more intimate, you know, and that's why I continue to go back to that well. And and I try to write what hasn't been written and what's maybe missing out there. This new song I, I just have out now called Oh Lord Lead Us. I wrote for New Year's. And after coming out of COVID, I really think that it's appropriate that I was looking in uh, in the Psalm and I think it was 105, where it said, look to the Lord for strength, seek his face always. And that was it for me, you know. It happens to be the most played Christian song I've ever written in my life. So I'm just hitting my stride, I guess. I don't know. But I take in a respite. I, I listen to God. When he tells me it's time to write, I write. And when it's time for journey, I, I do journey. So yeah, I was going to ask that because, I mean, I listened to your brand new song and you talked about it. It's Oh, oh Lord, Lead Us. And yeah. I mean, there's a lot of passion behind that. The words are very poignant. And you talk about the writing and that God in your faith lead you toward the writing that you do. Yeah. So, so talk to me about this song, what led you to, to write this, but then Talk to me about the process. What What is the process that you go through when you're well, writing songs for, for Journey, for yourself, in the in your worship, yeah. et cetera? I think it's a feeling that comes over you and that's sort of a necessity that, you know, there's an urgency that sort of flows. 
like, I've got to get this out. I know what this is. There's like, it's an aha thing. It's just kind of like birthing, you know, like I'm going to birth this and it's got to be now. I write very urgently and quickly when I know what something is, you know, and when I opened the Bible and into Isaiah 40, and he said, even young men get worried, stumble and fall. And those who hope in the Lord will soar like eagles pray. For, and, and I'm like, oh my God. There it is. Have we ever stumbled? I'm an observer. I look at life. I look at people. I watch people. I feel what's in the atmosphere with their hearts. I try to get where they are. And then I try to hit it. I mean, when I joined Journey, for example, they weren't singing to their fans. They were singing about stuff, but it wasn't like the stuff about their lives, you know? And so inner small town girl, inner city boy, born and raised in South Detroit, on a midnight train going anywhere, you know, and we have to be life observers and we have to observe, absorb, and then react. And so we absorb enough atmosphere. We live enough life. And all of a sudden we birth for something. It's a feeling. I mean, I watched, you know, that whole thing with the country riding and, and uh, the George Floyd thing go down. And it was 4th of July. They asked me, our directors, can you have a song for God on the 4th of July? I couldn't find one. So I wrote one and it's called Freedom in Your Grace. And if you go on YouTube, you can see there I am again. I'm absorbing, observing, praying, processing, right? And giving and birthing. And we find freedom in your grace. A nation cries out to you, Lord, praying in the name of Jesus. And we were. We all were, you know, a land divided and torn where stars and stripes are born. I mean, what are we doing? And that was me once again, just going through that process. Even the the, the journey single, the way we used to be, I don't know if you heard the, the single we, we got out. That's the same thing. That was me processing, observing, feeling it, and then boom. And God has given me a gift now, lyrically. I never really possess that I have right now. And it began with what God wants to hear. And, and I think as you know, even I'm more like Jesus. I had on some chords that were like powerful. Uh, when I did my Christmas album, Unsung Noel, powerful stuff. Whoever wrote a song about Joseph, I did. It's called Joseph's Pride. What he must have felt like as a dad. There's a song for dads to listen to, Joseph's Pride. I mean, it's stunningly magical and it's got this bittersweet thing to it. Ever faithful to the father. I mean, those lyrics are unbelievable for Christmas. And yet it's not, you know, no one's really done it. And then they had this song called Mary Did You Know? Of course she knew. The angel told her. So, you know, I said, well, as a Catholic, I'm going to write Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you every step of the way. You knew your baby boy would be king someday. That's it. So there's those things. When you hear something, you hear a bad song or you, you, you hear something that's you don't agree with, then you write the answer to that song. You know, like I heard Don Henley write, the end of the innocence. So what did I, I wrote a song called Back to the Innocence. I'm going to get back to the innocence. You know, yes, I do it all the time. I'm still a child. I still have child in me that is still curious. I mean, I'm taking pilot lessons. I'm going to be a pilot at the end of the year. I'm going to, you know, what am I doing? I'm still a kid fulfilling dreams that, you know, one of my, one of my dreams was well, it would ever be a pilot. Well, my wife bought me lessons for Christmas and now I'm 60 hours into it and I'm flying in this incredible plane now. I moved up to a diamond and I mean, it, it's a rocket ship. So that's what I'm doing. So it's like, that's the kind of thing where, you know, you want to keep fulfilling your dreams. And I believe that being creative comes in ebbs and flows, you know, and I, I think the creative people that know when the wave comes 
it's time to move with the wave. It's like waiting for the surfing. I watch the surfers, you know, and the way they'll just sit there in the water waiting for that wave. And I think creativity is that same thing. We wait for the wave and then we move on it and we get up and we go. And we have seasons of creativity and it may knock on your door and you may not succumb to it. You may say, I'm too tired. I'm too old for that. Okay. That's your prerogative. And I know a lot of songwriter buddies that quit. I'm not quitting. No, not after all God has given me. Why would I quit? But yet they do, you know, and they say, as you get older, you know, your brain doesn't work as good. Therefore you don't write as good, the good songs. I don't believe that. So I just got stem cell treatment. They took my blood and sent over to Germany and put it back in me. And I'm like, I feel like Superman now in so many ways. So yeah, I want to go on to blaze. That's what I told my wife, Paula, when I married her, that was my third time. I said, we're going to put God first and I'm going to go on the place. And I'm lucky to have one of the greatest gals on the planet. She's powerful and she speaks to the king in me. And I only wish that I had known Paula earlier. You know, we both lament about, oh, why didn't we meet each other sooner? We could have saved so much money and so much heartache. And I said, God found us in this lifetime. And that's enough for me. So I'm grateful for our marriage. We've got two beautiful grandkids next door. I got four horses in the barn. You know, I'm a hunter jumper guy. I have my airplane lessons. I go fly. I play golf. I'm in journey. Stay thirsty, my friend. (laughs) You live a very full life. And, And I guess I love what you just said about being a life observer, but also the fact that you need to continue to fulfill your dreams. How do you share that with your kids? with your daughters, with your son, and encourage them to do the same. Yeah, I just, I think I'm a role model. I do it. You know, they see me doing it and they're going, oh, there's dad again. There he goes again. Yeah, I think showing and you have to live your life to its fullest, you know, and then make time to, you know, I make time to go out there and see them. They have to come out and see me, you know, and um, that's all. I think it by example, parents can do the best by being, you know, loving to each other, by succeeding on their you know, whatever it is at work or whatever they're trying to do to be a success. My father was a self-made man. He barely had an education and he turned out to be a mover and a shaker and raised a beautiful family, had a dream house, had a dream car, he had a dream job, loved his life. And in the end, loved my mother till the end. He went for it. And I think that's what his parents, what we should do and encourage our kids to follow. You know, I'd be remiss to not ask this question. And then I want to definitely ask you our fatherhood five before we end today. But yeah. 2017, big year for you and for Journey. Um, I mean, being inducted into the Hall of Fame after all of the work that you've put in, because the industry is not an easy industry and the nope. life is not an easy life. Nope. So what did that moment mean for you at that point in your life when you were put into the Hall of Fame? I thought of the fans first and the sort of love affair we've had with our fans over the years and how just amazing and gold-plated they are. They're, I think we have some of the best fans in the face of the earth. I mean, I, they're all CEOs and a lot of well-to-do people, you know, very successful people that love Journey, which I'm proud of. I mean, I see them come with their families. All those years of being out there, endlessly touring, it seems like. We did have that break for eight years. We did bad English and everything. But I think of them and finally being recognized by writers of the business, like even Rolling Stone, we did Lollapalooza a couple weeks ago, couldn't diss us. You know, they liked to diss us, but they couldn't because we had 100,000 people there and we play our asses off. And what are they going to do? So <laughs> to go into the Hall of Fame, first of all, and be the number one voted band, that was special. 
So we weren't number two or number three, but we, we went in as number one. We had the most votes, you know, and, and it was a Pearl Jam crowd. Obviously, it was New York, so we got that. But yet, what it meant was a validation that all those years of being obedient, I mean, the only reason we do it is for the fans, honestly. I mean, I go in the studio, and it's a surreal place, you know. It's not a, And I try to just channel our fans, you know, and what would they want to hear? My whole purpose for still writing Journey songs is like, what does that Journey fan want to hear? Oh, I guess he wants to hear, we want to get back to the way we're doing it. You know? No, we don't need a new norm. We want to get back to the way we were living it. You know, that's what we want. And so they're my inspiration. We're their inspiration. We share a common bond. It's sort of like this exchange, you know, it's a love exchange, what it is. And so that that night, the spotlight was on the band and all the accomplishments and all the years and all the millions and millions. And, and it takes an army, you know, to make a thing like Journey come together. Over the years, thousands of people put a lot of work into making Journey a household name. And in my speech, I even thanked everybody uh, from the warehouse people to the DJs. And this is a long road. So it's kind of like climbing Mount Everest and getting to the top and going, hell yeah, I did it. Hell yeah, this looks good from up here. And that was kind of like almost 35 years. I'm celebrating my 40th year in Journey. So this year is 40 years. It really was, you know, you're top of the mountain. You can look down and say, yeah, that's right. We did that. And uh, we were successful. And Escape just got a diamond award behind me. It's unbelievable. 10 million sales. We got two of those now. And, you know, we're going strong. And so I'm encouraged to keep going. And uh, But a balance, you know, I think, you know, when it's all one thing, life's boring. I mean, I'm at the age now where if I'm not going to get it done, it's not going to get done. I've only got like 15, 20 good years. So I want to share a bunch of things. I want to put a bunch of things on the table and try to get them all done the best I can do them. And listen to God, listen to what God's telling me, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I feel as a parent, you know, they know where I'm at. They have their life now. They lived a good life with, you know, I, I taught them well. It's up to them now. You can only you can teach your children, but they have to make the decisions. You know, life's about making choices and they know where I live and call me anytime they need me. So I'm here for them. Now you talked about Journey. Journey's still touring. They're out there. You've got your music that you're, you've personally put out there. If people want to find out more about What's going on with Journey? What's going on with you personally, with your new music that's going out? Where's the best place for them to go? Well, you know, we have journeymusic.com for the Journey fans. And then, of course, I've got a new website, jonathancain.org. And then my Instagram is jonathancainmusic. My Twitter is the Jonathan Cain. I use Twitter mostly for, it's funny, I, I'm more into the faith-based community there than anything. And so I'm constantly dropping scriptures and, and whatever God puts on my heart to say, I'll put it out there on Twitter. Otherwise, I don't have any reason because I don't get into the political arena. I have my feelings. I'm a conservative. I've always been a conservative, and but yet I don't preach it. I try not to bring politics. Rock and roll, I guess, you know, you could a little bit, but with our fans, I don't think it sits well. So I keep all that stuff to myself. I get mad and angry, and but it's going to be what it is, and only God's going to have the final say. So I'm really praying for all our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I'm very, very concerned. I don't know what's going to happen there. It's very, very sad. I didn't realize there's so much church over there, but there's a lot of Christian church and they're being persecuted. And I hate to see that kind of stuff. And so we need to come together just as the world and see, hey, you know, we're all the same. We're all equal. Hey, let's stop all this division. And uh, God loves us all. I don't know that I can say any more than that. You know, it's great to uh, speak to you today. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five questions Love a little bit deeper into you as a dad. First and foremost, in one word, what yeah. is fatherhood? Love. It's love. Now, when was a time that you finally felt 
that you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? That would be watching my Liza come down the aisle and receive her diploma. Yeah, pretty awesome. The only one. (laughs) I shared that with her that day. That was great. It was a great day. Now, if I was to talk to your kids, how would they describe you as a dad? Fierce. Yeah. They'd say I was fierce. You may have already answered this because you you talk about some of your inspiration, but who inspires you to be a better dad? I'd be my father. You know, my father always, he'd be the one. Absolutely. hundred percent. I anticipated that because of just what I've heard you say on your own podcast and what you said today. He seemed like Uh, an amazing man. He's he's number one. I, you know, when I wrote the memoir, I dedicated it to him just because of what he meant to me, everything. He's what I am. I'm nothing without him. He even led me to Jesus. I mean, he used to pray to Jesus and tears would come down and he'd sit there in the pew at church and I'd watch him. I'm like, where, where, why are you crying? You know, I was lost in prayer. I said, I want to learn how to do that too. (laughs) Son, you got to get your own relationship with Jesus. You got to get down on your knees and call him your savior and tell him you love him and tell him you want him in your heart. And I always say when I'm leading worship, I said, I have the Lord's name written in my heart. Thanks to my dad. Hallelujah. Now you've given a lot of advice today. You've given a lot of pieces that I know that people are going to be kind of listening to, but also internalizing for themselves. But in leaving today, what piece of advice would you want to give to other dads? I would say, encourage your children to pursue their possibilities. That's what I would say. Encourage them. Recognize the possibilities. Look at the gifts your children have and encourage them. Well, Jonathan, I I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time and your willingness to talk to me today and to talk and to share your... Yeah, share your journey because, and and I'm not just saying journey because of journey, but it right. truly is a journey that you have been on yes, throughout your is. entire life to bring you where you are today as a father, as a musician and more. And, you know, everything that you've been sharing is amazing. And I truly wish you the best as you. you continue the the tour with Journey, but also with your other music, getting that pilot's well, I, license and more. I, I tell you what, I'm working on a, a children's book with an illustrator. I'm kind of excited to... Uh, Maybe we'll get it done this year. And it's about dads. It's called My Dad Matters. And I wrote a song for Father's Day. It's a YouTube up there. If you go to Jonathan Kane YouTube, My Dad Matters, you'll see a, a tribute to Leonard and the song I wrote. And then God said to me, this should be a, a children's book. It belongs in every home, you know, because I believe the fathers right now are sort of being underappreciated, to say the least, and are sort of not standing in authority as much as they should be. They're taking a set in a back seat. I call them backseat dads. It's time for men and fathers, especially to lead, step up and lead. Men have been, you know, maligned over the last 10 years. And this has been horrible, all of it. I mean, and I think it probably started back in Vietnam, you know, uh, when the, the soldiers came home unappreciated and, and shamed. And so men today, I think need to be lifted up. And I think they need as much encouragement as possible. We're living in a time where they're not celebrated like they should be. And you see in the Bible so much of the respect and submission that men require. I think the respect piece really has to be put in a family. You know, And if there's any young men out there listening, demand your respect, take leadership, take lead, don't ask questions. You're the leader, be the leader of your family. Don't get run over, stand up and lead. So I'm hoping My Dad Matters ends up being this cool children's book. So I'm looking forward to getting this done. That's going to come by the end of the year, I hope. So we'll see. When it does, we'll get it out to people and let people know about it. But I truly appreciate your time today and I wish you all the best. Yeah, well, check out the song. It's a, it's a cool song and, and it's got all every picture I could find of my father I put in there. <laughs> That's Leonard's tribute. All right. God bless, Chris. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals we buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad can be be the best dad you can be